Well, good evening. Such a joy to be with you guys. It feels like forever since I've been here. Between COVID and seeing family, it's uh, been a wild few weeks. I just, I'm so happy to be back and bringing God's Word to you tonight. Uh, as you remember from last week, we're starting a new series on eschatology, uh, kind of a fancy word for the study of the end times. And last week, Dean got us started by thinking about what is called the already and the not yet. Already and the not yet. And if you'll remember, the key there is that in Christ's life, death, and resurrection, uh, particularly in his death and resurrection, the end times have already come. At the end times, the last days, as we'll see, have come into the here and now. So we now live with a sort of foot in both worlds, right? One foot in the flesh in this world and one foot in the kingdom of God. A kingdom of God that has come but is not fully realized now. And tonight we're going to ask the question, what about the Holy Spirit? Right? The Holy Spirit, one author called the Holy Spirit the forgotten God. Another theologian has provocatively asked, you wonder where the Spirit went? Tonight, through our passage and jump, jumping from there, we're going to ask specifically, what does the Holy Spirit have to do with eschatology? What does the Holy Spirit have to do with our end times? So if you would, take your Bibles and we're going to turn to Ezekiel chapter 36. We'll be reading verses 22 through 32. You'll find that on page 724 of your pew Bible. And what we're going to do, you'll see, is we're going to start from this passage, and we're going to look at a few themes in there, but we're really using this passage as a sort of jumping-off point. Right? We're going to use this to get our minds oriented and then pulling themes out to talk about how the Spirit is working in the end times. So here's God's Word, starting in Ezekiel 36, verses 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations, and gather you from all the countries, and bring you into your own land." I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God." And I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses, and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant, that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourself for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. That sends God's word. Let's go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in it is life and life abundantly. We pray now that you would send your spirit to open our hearts and our eyes that we might see Christ and the truth therein, we pray in his name. Amen. 
Well, one of the most common storylines that we see is the invasion of a foreign force. I just think of how many, I mean, Lord of the Rings, all superhero movies, every science fiction movie, got those war movies, right? All of them involve a, an invasion of an evil force coming and bringing destruction on a land, right? Coming in and bringing a great threat to the status quo, to the, the peace and the way things are. And actually, brilliantly, one author named William Gay, in the start of his novel, The Long Home, he begins it with, you're plopped down in the middle of central Tennessee, and suddenly a hole erupts in this man's front yard, and cowering towards the chasm, the, the man peers down, and here's how Gay describes it. Brimstone, he breathed, he peered down the sides of the shaft. Smooth stones fell away dizzy and plumb, and all there was below was darkness. He dropped a stone and heard it go skittering away down the sides of the aperture to ultimate darkness, but he never heard it strike bottom. And then immediately after, this hole erupts in this man's yard. There's the appearance of one Dallas Harden, who in this novel is almost the pure embodiment of evil. And the point Gay is trying to almost toy with is, what if hell opened up and the devil came and lived among us, right? We have this fear, perhaps innate to all of us, that there's a foreign force, a cosmic force coming in to wreak us havoc. However, you've got to ask, what if the story was flipped, right? What if instead of the cosmic force coming in and being our greatest threat, what if instead was our only hope? Right? What if our only hope as fallen, sinful creatures is a full cosmic invasion to bring this earth aright? Well, that's the storyline that we see in our Bibles. Right? It's a story of a God who has come and brought the kingdom of God with him into our world. That's the story of the already not yet. It's the story of Christ's death and resurrection and in fact, it makes up the sum of New Testament teaching. One theologian says this, that the whole content of Paul's preaching can be summarized as the proclamation and explication, that's the explanation, of the eschatological time of salvation brought in by Christ's advent, death, and resurrection. So everything Paul talked about is based around the fact that in Christ. The kingdom of God, a cosmic, otherworldly force, has broken in. And tonight, we're, we're not talking about the kingdom of God necessarily, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. But I would like to propose to you that it is precisely by the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, that this kingdom of God comes and makes its presence felt. That it is the Holy Spirit that brings the kingdom of God here and now. Now, all of us have some understanding of the Holy Spirit, right? I grew up wildly charismatic, right? Some of y'all maybe share in some of those proclivities. And in that world, right, the Spirit is sort of your cosmic best friend to tell you about a free parking space, to heal you when you need it, to give you insights. And perhaps there's a, a time and a place for 
a supernatural interaction with the Spirit like that. But for Paul and for the New Testament writers, in fact, the witness of the entire Bible is that the Spirit was more than just an invisible best friend. As I said, the Spirit is the invading force which has brought the kingdom of God here and now. We'll see that this was fulfilled in Pentecost, but it was hinted at in shadows in the Old Testament. Right? Just think about Aholiab and Bezalel, right? The two Israelites gifted with the Spirit to build the tabernacle, to bring heaven here on earth. Or the gift of the Spirit coming upon the prophets to bring a message from another world, from the very throne room of God to the people of God. The Spirit's always been about bringing God before us. And now in Christ, we have the Spirit in full measure. So tonight, using this passage as a jumping off point, I want to suggest to you three things about the Spirit and the end times. The first is that the Spirit is the sign of the end times. Second, that he is the gift of the end times. And lastly, he is the life of the end times. So the sign, the gift, and the life. First, the sign. Right? We see here in Ezekiel 22, 32, verse 22, he says, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name. So he puts it in the future tense. Right? So God is saying, there's coming a day when I'm going to do something. There's coming a day when I will send my spirit. And when I do, those will be the last days. This is spoken of most clearly in Joel 2. Right? Perhaps the most famous passage about the Holy Spirit, Joel 2.28, where he, Joel says, And it will come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy going all the way down. And then the intriguing thing, though, so when Peter quotes this passage, Joel 2.28, when Peter quotes this at Pentecost, he doesn't say, and it will come to pass afterward. Instead, he changes it just a little bit. He says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit. So Peter is looking at, back at Joel 2 and looking at the host of Old Testament witness and seeing that when the Spirit comes, then we're in the last days. The Spirit is the sign that you know you're in the last days. And we see this all throughout, not just Joel 2 or Ezekiel 36, but also Jeremiah 31, Isaiah 32. They all contain promises that when the day of the Lord comes and when the Spirit is sent, then you'll know that you're in the last days. It's kind of like waking up in the morning and you've set that timer on your coffee pot, right? And you can smell the coffee. You don't know it's there, but you can smell it. And that tells you that something's a brewing, no pun intended. Or you think about last night, right? The Bills versus the Patriots. It was five degrees in Buffalo. Would not want to play football on that. But you saw, I had no idea. I couldn't tell it was cold on that. But you saw the men all lining up. Right? And they're huffing and puffing. What do you see? You see their breath just misting out in front of them. And that's how you know it's cold. Right? That's how you know it's cold out there. Is you see their breath. 
In the same way also, when the Spirit of God comes and in amongst, is, in, is, in, is amongst us, we know that we're in the last days. So one reason, just to start us off, one reason we call these moments the last days, one reason we can say we're in the last days is because the Spirit is the sign of the last days. The Spirit is a sign that the end of time has come. The end of time has come. However, the Spirit is not only a sign of the last days, He's also the gift of the last days. And this is our second point tonight, that the Spirit is the gift of the end times. And here, our passage in Ezekiel tonight, he talks about all these blessings that God is going to do. He's going to cleanse us. He's going to give us a new heart. He's going to give it, take out our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. But overarching everything, the thing that sums it all up, is that he will put his spirit within us. Right? The way that we could say all the blessings of God that happen are happen because he has put his spirit not just a spirit, not just a new spirit, but his spirit within us. And this spirit, as we see in 3627, causes us to walk in obedience to God. It brings conviction, it brings faith, it brings new life. And yet, so when the end times come, we know it has come because the spirit is the sign but we have also been given the Spirit in these end times. Jonathan Edwards, in his sermon, Heaven, a World of Love, says that the chief and sum of all the good things in this life and in the life to come that are purchased for the church is the Holy Spirit. And as he is the great purchase, so, he, so is he the great promise or the great thing promised by God in Christ to the church. So Edwards is telling us that of all the things that Christ did for us, the, 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 the highest point, the fullness of what Christ did for us was he bought us the Holy Spirit. He gave us the Holy Spirit. And Paul will pick up on this through passages like Ezekiel 36 and Isaiah 32 and others. Paul will pick up on this and show that the Spirit is the fullness of what Christ has given us. 2 Corinthians 1, 21, 22 says, And it is God who establishes us in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Or jump just a little further into 2 Corinthians 5, 5. He who has given us this very thing is God who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. Or most famously, perhaps, Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And there Paul probably tells it most clearly that when you believe, when you hear the gospel and believe in Christ, the fullest that you think that you are given is the Holy Spirit. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Right? So when you believe in Christ, the, the Father takes his signet ring, right, his seal of the Spirit, and 
takes your hand and seals you with it, saying, he is mine. You want to know how he's mine? He's got the Spirit. I've given him my Spirit. So the Spirit, we can say, is the end-time gift which is given by Christ to his people. And yet what we have right now in the Spirit isn't the fullest expression of it. Right? So we see there that Paul has talked about being a guarantee, sort of like a down payment. Right? You think about trust fund babies. It's one thing I always aspired to be. It was a trust fund baby. Right? A trust fund baby, they've got all this money for them, and yet they never really have it in full. Right? They're given, given it in payments. They're given it in increments. So we, like that trust fund baby, have been given a down payment, a portion of the spirit that is to come. Now, it doesn't make it any less ours, right? It's still ours. We just have still to receive it all. And yet, what's fascinating about the word that Paul uses there for down payment, right, is that it's, it's a covenantal relationship that is entered into, right? It's a covenantal relationship. So as soon as God the Father gives us this spirit, he is obligating himself to give us the rest. All right, so it's, this is not a trial run of the spirit that we have. This is not, you're going to get the spirit for 30, 40, 50 years, right? And if you do really good, if you like it, if it fits well, then you're going to get the rest. Right, that's not what God is telling us. He's telling us, I will give you the Spirit. This is yours. And yet, just wait and see what's coming after. Right? Wait and see what's coming. He is binding himself to us, promising us that the fullness will come. That the fullness of blessings will come. And yet, the analogy of a down payment sort of falls apart if we look at it too long, because normally, when someone gets a down payment, it's the, the person making the payment that is receiving the item, right? But in this case, it is God who is both making the payment and giving the gift, right? God is the one who is making the payment and giving us the gift of the Holy Spirit, And yet there's something also, one more special thing about the Spirit as the gift of the end times. And that is, not only is it a guarantee of the blessings that is to come, but it is the presence of Christ here and now. John 16, 7, Jesus talking to his disciples and probably says words that his disciples never thought he would say. Where he says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So the beautiful thing about the Spirit is that somehow it is better for him to be with us than for Christ to be with us. Just put, picture yourself. You're one of the twelve, right? You have walked with Jesus. You have seen him cast out demons. You've seen him turn five loaves and seven fish into feeding 5,000. You've seen him walk on water. You see him cast out demons. And he says, 
but I'm, I'm going to go away. But there's, there's something better for you because of it. Right? There's something better for you when I leave. So the Spirit of God is the gift of the end times that gives us Christ's presence at all times. In fact, even more so, we can say that through the Spirit, by the Spirit, the work of Christ is applied to us, and we are constantly in the presence of God. We are constantly in the presence of Christ. So the Father and the Son together have given us the gift of the Spirit, and in this gift we have Christ's presence. We have a foretaste, a down payment of the marvelous blessings which will be fulfilled when Christ returns. But lastly, the Spirit is not only the sign, the Spirit is not only the gift, but the Spirit is the life of the end times. The Spirit is the life of the end times. Immediately following our passage, we have that astounding story of the valley of the dry bones. Right, where Ezekiel has been prophesying this whole time about the restoration of Judah and Israel here in 36. And then God says, here, I'm going to show you something. Right, takes him to a valley of dry bones. And he asks Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel famously says, O Lord, you alone know. Right, you alone know if these bones can live. God says there in 37.5, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. This is God speaking to the bones. I will cause breath. It's that same word there, ruach, spirit, breath, wind. God's going to cause a new wind, a new breath to enter these bones, and they shall live. So when the Spirit comes... He doesn't just, or the, the sum of the blessings that he gives is new life. The Spirit gives us life. In fact, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 45, that it was the Spirit itself that gave Jesus life, right? So when we are given the Spirit, we're given the same life of Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15:45 that the first man Adam became a living being, but the last Adam, Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. So when Jesus was resurrected and we'll talk about this more at the resurrection when Jesus is brought forth by the from the grave by the spirit, he became through being the dispenser of the Holy Spirit the dispenser of life to all those who are his. So when Jesus gives you the Spirit, he is giving you his own life. He is giving you resurrection life. In fact, we see John and Jesus echoing this same passage here from Ezekiel 36 in John 4, 5, 6, where Jesus says, unless someone is born of the water and the Spirit... He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So unless you have the new life of the Spirit, you have no part of God's people. 
You are no part of God's people. And yet we could take it a step farther too. Not only is the Spirit the life of the end times, right? He's not only the life, He is the entire sphere, the the whole shape and substance of the end times as well. Right? So you can think about it this way. It's like a like a fish in an aquarium, right? So the fish doesn't just breathe, not breathe, whatever the fish does with the water, right, through the gills. When the fish breathes the water, he is receiving life from the water, right? But the fish has its whole existence in the water as well, right? The fish doesn't just intake water through its gills, right, and then hop onto land for a little while, then hop back in the water when it needs, needs some water again, right? The entire existence of a fish is found in water, right? So we too, our whole lives, our whole existence is found in the sphere of the Spirit. We live in the Spirit. We live through the Spirit. We live because of the Spirit, One author says that Paul sees the Spirit preeminently as the eschatological gift, the end-time gift. He's the revealer of the new age in accordance with Old Testament prophecy. And yet, according to Paul, the Spirit also ushers us into a new mode of existence. We are a new creature in the Spirit. We are, as Paul will call us, Right? We are spiritual beings, no longer flesh, but now spirit. We see that in Romans 8, verses 9 through 11. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. So we can say then that our entire lives are made up of the spirit of God. And this should give us tremendous hope, and comfort, right? If we have eyes to see that our daily existence comes from the same spirit that called Christ from the grave. Every breath we take, every, every step we take, everything we do day in and day out, I almost started quoting a police song there. Um, <laughs> um, All of that comes from the Spirit. We are no longer merely physical creatures, right? We have been called forth from the grave and have been given new life. So the sum of all this then is that in the Spirit we have a sign that we're in the end times. We've been given the gift of the end times, as a down payment for what's to come. And yet we, have, we also have a spirit who gives us life and grounds our life in the person of Christ. We no longer live by flesh, we live by spirit. We no longer live in the natural world, we live in the spiritual world. And the gifts he gives us are heavenly gifts. Heavenly, otherworldly gifts. Have you ever thought about that, that the gifts God has given you are otherworldly gifts? Right? They're otherworldly gifts through which the Spirit, 
by Christ and from the, through the will of the Father is making his kingdom known here on earth. Gerard Manley Hopkins famously said that the world is charged with God's grandeur. Everywhere we look, we see the grandeur of God. We need spirit-soaked eyes, don't we? We need eyes that perceive that Christ has come. And the world we live in is no longer flesh, but spirit. The life we live is no longer flesh, but spirit. And that life is life abundant and everlasting. Let's pray. Most great and heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have given us the Spirit. Well, we thank you that in him we have been given the guarantee that a better future awaits us. That one day has been said that we will see Jesus face to face. We will see him glorified and lifted up. Father, we pray that you would send us forth now. Lord, continue to bring us mindfulness of the spirit in which now we walk, your spirit. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.